بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ ٹونائٹ از دا تھرٹیتھ آف سپٹمبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری اینڈ ٹو اسپینڈ The last report I mentioned was in the one in which our beloved messenger said how fortunate is he whose own shortcomings prevent him from backbiting with us. Recorded in Bazaar. So the Prophet was praising the individual, the Muslim, who overlooks the failings of us. And how does he do this? by reflecting upon his own feelings. So this is a good introspection which the Shariat encourages. So obviously we've all got feelings. So obviously Shaitan will make you, provoke you to find the feelings of others. So how do you counter that? So the response to that is, when you think of the feeling of others, immediately think of your own feelings. And when you, when you think of your own feelings, The last thing on your mind is to persist with thinking of the failings of others. One must be extremely weary of sin. However, if one is an open sinner and transgresses upon others, he doesn't hide it, then one may warn others of him. Because our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Are you scared to reveal an evil man? Disgrace him, that people may know him. Disclose his evil, that people may beware of him. This is recorded in Tabarani, Ibn Hibban, Ibn Adi, Ibn Abidunya, Imam Ghazali, Rahmatullah, in his Ihya, volume 3, page 221, in the chapter on the curse of the tongue. So how is this relevant? The last thing we mentioned in the previous session was backbiting. So obviously, backbiting is a major sin. However, if there is an open sinner, so what do I mean by this? So if you know a person is, for example, dealing drugs, so that's obviously an open sinner. How is it then feasible for you not to warn others under the pretext that you're backbiting? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So the honor which Allah has given, i.e. that you don't backbite others, is stripped away from the one who openly sins and transgresses. Have you understood this? The honor has gone. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he put it, in the form of a question, are you scared to reveal an evil man? Disgrace him, that people may know him. Disclose his evil, that people may beware of him. But note, the Prophet didn't give you a license to overstep the mark. So for instance, if a person is dealing drugs, you can say to others, even though it's technically backbiting, beware of so-and-so, because he deals in drugs. But you don't then throw in other things. And I also have a problem with him. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Now you're backbiting. You only expose 
the evil, the Prophet said, discloses evil that people may beware of him. Another example is a person who's terrible with debts. He, he takes money, but he doesn't pay back. So if you know of a person like this, then you warn others. That's not backbiting, but only the to I to warn others. And similarly, our beloved Messenger وسلم, said, if anyone casts off the veil of modesty from his face, then backbiting him is no sin. This is recorded in Abu Ash-Shaykh Ibn Adi, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya, volume 3, page 221, in the chapter on the curse of the tongue. So here the Prophet said he's taken off haya. In other words, he's not he's doing it openly. He's promoting vice. Then backbiting the, the Prophet said is no sin. In other words, you may even be rewarded because you're warning others of the person's sin. So note, it's not a clear court case of backbiting being forbidden 100%. There are times where it is necessary I to warn others. Uh, so now, another question people pose is that what if a person is calling to deviancy? So for instance, he's an innovator and he's publicly calling to innovations. So the response is, you leave that to the ulama. Right, and the response is, why? Because if he's on a public platform, it's best to go through authority. Why? Because authority are the people who people turn to. They will respect the response from authority, not a guy on the street. And if it's among scholars, leave it amongst the scholars. What's he going to do with you? So if one scholar apparently does a blunder, leave it to another scholar to respond. So don't get involved in this, you know, what do you call it? You know, social media backbite. The response is, if in doubt, keep out. And again, in that area, just keep away from this. But if it's just the layman saying silly things, then obviously there's no harm, I believe, in mentioning it. Say, look, be weary of this person. He comes out with silly things. And avoid his statements. In particular, if it's fatwa he's giving. So if a person, for instance, like I mentioned, he deals drugs, he's terrible in paying back his debts, he's a thief then one must warn others of him. It is, however, important that you don't go overboard by following it up with words such as, I never trusted him, or he comes from a wicked family, which is a common statement that people make, because he's a, you know his family is known for this. Why, why have you brought his family into it? So that's obviously now backbite. And also the other times, just to point out where it is essential to backbite, is when discussing the chains of transmission. So when you get a hadith, the scholars, they will start talking about people in the chain who are dead. And the Prophet actually said, backbiting about the dead is more serious than backbiting the living. Why? Because you can't ask forgiveness. And yet, the scholars of hadith, how many times do you hear this? So-and-so's memory is weak. He's not trustworthy. So think about that. That's, his person who's died maybe a thousand years ago, and you're talking negative about it. But that is to highlight in terms of the strength of the hadith. And also when you go into court uh, in the Shariat, when you go to a qadi, a person puts forward his complaint, there's no harm in that because obviously people need to hear both sides of the story. So obviously there's examples where you can do this. Indeed, one should always come to the aid of one's brothers and sisters. Our beloved Messenger, he said, 
he who helps a believer to rest then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will let him rest on the day of judgment subhanallah he who helps a believer to rest i be at ease then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will let him rest be at ease on the day of judgment recorded by imam ghazali rahmatullahi in his ihya volume 2 page 239 in the chapter on social living and mingling so note the mindset the mindset is that yes you're going to the aid of your brother and sister but in reality you're helping yourself so our mindset isn't really we're helping others that's like you know the icing on the cake our mindset is i'm making my own life better in the next life by helping a brother and look how beautiful the words you put a believer at rest you know look how the prophet you know described that why because a person's agitated he doesn't know where to turn to so if you see a person like that and you can help him that's a tremendous deed but who have you benefited you benefited yourself and think about that which one of us does not want to be at ease on the day of judgment it's not as if you know we got to say in the matter of course i want ease did you go to the help of a believer that's the key point the prophet was highlighting sallallahu alaihi wasallam confirming further our beloved messenger said sallallahu alaihi wasallam if one helps his brother in need then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make his feet firm on the day during which even the mountains will perish subhanallah if one helps his brother in need then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make his feet firm on the day during which even the mountains will perish recorded in ibn an-najjar 5-126 and shaykh al-bani rahmatullah alayhi stated sahih in sahih al-jami number 176 so note is confirming if you help your brother in need allah ta'ala is going to make you firm on the day that mountains will be in the day of judgment so you're helping but you're helping yourself this really shouldn't come as a surprise why because our beloved messenger also said sallallahu alaihi wasallam if anyone redresses the sorrow of the sorrowful or helps a stricken one then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives him 73 times subhanallah if anyone redresses the sorrow of the sorrowful or helps a stricken one then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives him 73 times this is in ibn hiban ibn adi khara'iti imam ghazali rahmatullahi in his ihya volume 2 page 240 in the chapter on social living and mingling so again notice the wording somebody is in grief why is he in grief because of stress of worries if you make amends help him allah ta'ala forgives you 73 times now what, what does that mean isn't it enough that allah ta'ala forgives you once of course it is of course it is what's the other 72 times mm. so the response to that is it's additional honor given to you mm. one of the 72 is that allah ta'ala is going to make you at ease on the day of judgment think about that what a great that's one of the 70 what's the other 71 what is your forgiven the other is that you are going to be at ease on the day of judgment if it was only those two you don't going to grumble what's the other 70 so there you go that's another thing that we should be thinking about but how tragic that we don't go to the aid of our brothers and sisters what did sayyidina ali famously say radiyallahu he said in nasai and hayat as-sahab he said 
This is more beloved to me than the whole world full of gold if it was given to me. Mm-hmm. Because this deed is more beloved than this. Mm-hmm. He goes, what is the Amir al-Mumin? He goes, that I go to help a brother who's in need. But then he paused. Or he comes to me to fulfill his need. Mm-hmm. He was not sure which one's better. Now think about that. If somebody says to you, here's a blank check, write as many notes as you want at the end of it. You're thinking, my God, he set me for life. What could be greater than that? Imagine somebody goes, there's something greater than that. What is that, brother? Because if you go and help a brother fulfill his need, a guy's going to be totally bewildered. He says, how's that better than that? I have no idea. Amin al-Mumineen said it. Now we partially understand because they knew the Shariat. You understand? They gave you the answer. We don't really know the details. It's like a, it's like a, a professor giving you an, a, a formula that you've no idea how he's come to that formula. But the experts can work it out because this is an incredible formula. Right? And then when they break it down, then you finally appreciate what they've come up with. So when Hazrat Ali made that statement, be honest, would you know what he's talking about? But what's interesting, he doesn't know which one's better. I go to fulfill a brother's need or he comes to me. What did he mean by that? Because if a brother comes to you, that means you are a one that Allah Ta'ala has chosen for this honor. Think about that. He could have gone to a myriad of other people. Why did he come to you? Meaning that you're a special person. He's gone to you first and foremost. Now look how tragic. Sometimes a person actually phones you or comes to your dwelling. And what do you say? Tell him I'm not in. Right? And then you go, well, why did you say that? Right? And then he goes, well, he's always after, you know, he always wants things fulfilling. And there's the mindset. The mindset is now like a kafir. Hang on a minute. You're not benefiting him. Allah Ta'ala sent someone to you, so he wants to give you. And what does he want to give you? A check with as many notes as you want. And you go, not in need of it. And sometimes it might even be a small thing. It's not as if he wants you to, you know, brother, you know, I need I need to live somewhere. Shelter. He might just say, look, you know, I need some sugar. And you turn him away from that. You know, why do you always think that, you know, he's after something? So note again here, our mindset is, we should be thinking like a Muslim. Look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Did he allow anybody to beat him to this deed? The, the Ashab al-Suf, the, the residents of the masjid who had no income, very poor, the first university of Islam, who was the one who would take them to his dwelling first to feed them? Rasulullah. <laughs> then he would tell the companions after, you also feed your brothers. <laughs> Why would he do that? Because he's teaching you by example. <laughs> this deed multiplies even more in virtue if it can be done in secret. Because our beloved messenger said, whoever helps his brother in secret, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help him in this world and the next. Subhanallah. This is in Behaki in Shu'ab al-Iman al-Diyah. And Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah stated sahih in as-sahihah number 1217. So there's an additional blessing here. So first of all, how, what does it mean, help a brother in secret? It means he doesn't know you've helped him. 
that's not easy. <laughs> think about that. You know, is that easy? <laughs> you find out somebody's in need and you think, right. So an example, you know, out of many you can think of. You realize a person's in debt. So you find out who he owes the money to. So you go to the other person, say, look, I've paid his debt. Because <laughs> you can't hide that from that person. But you must not tell him that I've paid off his debt. In fact, you must not tell anybody. That's between me and you. And if you do that, imagine that person's thinking, imagine stress that, Val's going grey. He sees the person, oh no, he's coming for me. And then all of a sudden he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, that's sort of... <coughs> What's he going to think? What, what do you mean? My, have, you, have you waived my debt? No, I didn't waive it. Uh, it's been paid. Who paid it? Can't tell you. Now think about it. How would that person feel in his heart? What dua will he make immediately? He doesn't even know who's doing it. Forget his dua. What did the Prophet say? Whoever helps his brother in secret, Allah will help you. Where? In this world. Now think about that. How interesting is that? And the next. Isn't it enough that you've got the next? No. Now think about that. How is Allah going to help you in this world? I haven't got a clue, man. But I know he's not going to break his word. So could you think of another other examples? You know, helping a brother or sister in secret. Some easy deeds. But then again, they'll probably work it out. You take his binner. So obviously, you'll probably think, well, I've only got two neighbors. It's going to be one of them. But technically, it's secret. You know, he still doesn't really know who's doing it. Unless he thinks, well, that's a shaitan on this side. This guy's practicing, so I think it's him. But still, he doesn't know. You know, something simple like that, you know, you're just doing, you know, or you see some like dirt, you know, you're going past and you see a, you know, a brother's car got some mud on it and you think, like, nobody's looking, clean it. In fact, you know, I mentioned what happened with me once. <laughs> I had this old manga and the brother was, brother was telling me, oh, come on, you, you know, you need to wax it, you need to clean it, this, that, the other. And I said, yeah, 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 inshallah, I'll do it one day. And then what happened one day, I got up, cars, <laughs> but it looks like it's brand new. So I looked at it, I thought, hey, what's happened here? And I'm thinking, I'm trying to, I'm baffled thinking, this is not just, you know, rain. Somebody's, you know, done everything to it. So then I'm trying to work it. Ah, I'm thinking, then I thought, hang on a minute. But then I thought, how many brothers told me to clean my car? And to this day, I don't know who did it. So I went to one brother. He goes, brother, did you do something? And he goes, did you want to do what? <laughs> did, you know, did you like? And he goes, what are you talking about, you? <laughs> they went to another brother and they, wanted, you know, they couldn't spill the beans. I don't know who did it. At that time, I didn't even know this hadith. <laughs> but then later, when I, when I, you know, Allah Ta'ala blessed me to hear this narration or read this narration, I thought of them straight away. <laughs> they did it just, you know, and they did it secretly. <laughs> So think about that. Allah Ta'ala will now help that person or persons, I don't know if they were prone, in this world and the next. So this is such a beautiful trait. And also, isn't that Islam? Now what's interesting, does it mention believer? No. Whoever helps his brother. So there's two types of brothers. The brother in Islam and the brother in humanity. So now, obviously, definitely the Muslim. Can it refer to a non-Muslim? 
So the scholars, they state, why not? In fact, what greater da'wah can you give than that? End of the day, they're going to be completely baffled. And they're never going to be any the wiser who's done it. But if they have an inkling it's a Muslim, what greater da'wah can you give? You haven't even talked to them. In fact, he'll think, if that's Islam, you know, I want to be a Muslim. So think about that. You know, these things are so important in our deen, but, you know, anybody teaches these things. But not again, you're not really helping anybody. You know, it's not as if I, you know, I feel really, really pious now. Well, I'm not really bothered. I'm doing it for myself. I want Allah Ta'ala to help me in this world and the next. Now, where's the proof that Allah Ta'ala helps you in this world? You know, brother, ask me that question. Because one of the proofs is, and it's a very simple proof, is Allah Ta'ala takes care of that brother's needs very easily as compared to others. So you have a problem. And you notice some brother, he has a, it's like a jihad akbar to sort it out. Then another brother has exactly the same problem. And it's sorted. And then you think, what's the bloody hell's happening there, right? And he goes, well, they go through the mechanics. Well, you know, he got somebody and this guy knew you know, another person and he got in contact with somebody else. What you give me the mechanics for, right? He goes, why didn't that happen for me? We didn't have the contacts. And he's right. You didn't have the contact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you got Allah ta'ala on your bike, you got nothing to worry about. But the key is also the next, he will help you. So not helping others, this is such an enormous deed in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another example I can give, I'll summarize it. There was a great scholar, I mentioned him yesterday, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak from the Tabba Tabi'in, Rahmatullahi. And uh, this student, he, had a, uh, he would travel and on a journey at a certain stopping point, this, this person would learn from him. But when he came to that stopping point, he didn't see that youngster. So then he asked, he made inquiries, he goes, why, didn't, why don't I see the youngster who's usually here? So they goes, oh, he's, he's in debt. That's all he heard. He was all right. Then, look what he did, because he, he knew the Shariat. He somehow found out who he owed money to. He went to that person, and the person doesn't even know who he is. Doesn't know he's a big scholar of Hadith. He goes, listen, <coughs> he goes, is it true that so-and-so owes you some money? He goes, yes. He goes, listen, I will give you the debt. I've paid the debt. But don't tell him. So what happened? The youngsters obviously really worried that he didn't even attend to the sheikh. Suddenly he sees the, the the person he owes the money to. He goes, your debt's been paid. So he goes, who paid it? He goes, I can't tell you. So he's trying to work it out. Anyway, time passes, few months. The sheikh's going through that same area. This time the student comes. And the student obviously is listening to the sheikh. And the sheikh then says, Mashallah, how are you? And then the student goes, Alhamdulillah. But then he says, uh, he says to the sheikh, he goes, sheikh, he goes, forgive me, I didn't come the last time to your, to your halakha. And he goes, uh, because I, I, was, I had problems. <coughs> and something strange happened. He goes, what happened? <coughs> so he spoke like he doesn't know, right? And he goes, what happened? And he goes, well, he goes, I was in debt. And I was really stressed over it. But Allah, Akbar, Allah, Allah, some generous person paid my debt off. And I don't know who he is. And then he goes, oh. Then he goes, did you make du'a for him? And he goes, of course I made du'a for him. Because may Allah accept it. Then what happened? The report continues. <coughs> when Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak passed away, 
the person who he gave the money to, he now thought, I can now tell him. So he went to, and now he's grown up. The youngster has grown up. He goes, uh, remember that debt you owed me? And he goes, oh yes, many years ago. He goes, did you ever find out who paid the debt? And he goes, I have no idea. He goes, I've got an inkling. And he goes, what's your inkling? And he started mentioning his family. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, oh, it was like my, possibly my uncle. He goes, no. And he goes, was it my, my brother-in-law? He goes, no. And he goes, well, I'm baffled. Then he goes, I know who paid it off. Then he goes, tell me then. <laughs> he goes, the sheikh that you used to sit with. And the youngster was stunned. He goes, are you being serious? He goes, yes. He goes, why did he pay my debt? He goes, because he noticed that you didn't come to the halakah. And then he goes, why didn't he tell me? And then he, I think he mentioned the report. Because he was doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now, everybody goes, subhanallah. Well, hang on a minute. Before he starts saying, subhanallah, why did he do it? Because he wanted Allah to help him in this world and the next. So let me tell you something about Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. We've learned one thing there. He is the only person in the Hadith sciences that there is no flaw in his biography. So what do I mean by that? Every person in the chain, except the Sahaba, are checked. They're scrutinized. You know, everything. Why? Because they want to make sure the Hadith is sound. Every single person, they found a negative. Every person without exception, except one out of the hundreds of thousands. Who is that one? Abdullah ibn Mubarak. So some scholars say, maybe that was the Allah is helping him in the world. He was the only one. So imagine, if you got Abdullah ibn Mubarak in the chair, you're not even a scholar of hadith, you say, he's a Sayyid narrator. Bukhari accepted him. Muslim accepted Why? You have to accept it. He's got no flow. How has he got no flow? What else do we know uh, about uh, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak? He split his life into two parts. <laughs> six months he would teach, six months he'd do jihad. That was his life. So once when he was doing jihad, one of his uh, contemporaries, he was doing hajj. He's next to the black stone and the twin, uh, and you know he's he's thinking Allahu Akbar. He goes, I'm in Ikhram, I'm doing Hajj, I'm next to the black stone. So he, he remembers Abdullah ibn Mubarak. So he writes to him. He's in Ihram. And he you know that, that days obviously you gotta write and somebody's gonna actually personally send the so he, he you know he sorts it out. He goes, send it to Abdullah ibn Mubarak. So anyway, months pass. You, know, you don't just send it, you know, Twitter, right? So he gets to him and he's still in the battlefield. And Abdullah ibn Mubarak writes him a letter back. He goes, send this letter back to so-and-so. He's probably finished his hajj. And the letter he wrote back was this. He goes, do you think I'm losing out? <laughs> do you think I'm losing out? He goes, rather, he goes, you are the loser. He goes, I'm in the path of Allah. And then he starts mentioning the reports about the virtues. More than two million times the rewards increase for salat. Around the Kaaba, he only multiplies a hundred thousand plus times. So he, and look how interesting. Their discussion was all about the Akhirat. They weren't, you know, we bought another house. Right? I've already bought another house. Right? No, it's just about, and they were thinking. You're, you know, you've lost now. 
And this was Abdullah ibn Mubarak, you know, what a you know, phenomenon he was. It was interesting. His father was called uh, Blessings, <laughs> Al-Mubarak. So, what do you expect? He will be born from the person who is called Blessings. And what did he call his son? Abdullah. The, one of the names that Allah Ta'ala loves, the Prophet Sallallahu said in Sayyid Muslim, there's two names that Allah Ta'ala loves, Abdullah and Abdul Rahman. And what's interesting about those names, those two names were given to two of Abu Bakr's sons. One was Abdullah, the other was Abdul Rahman. And the third son he called Muhammad. <laughs> so, Abu Bakr, you know, you know the level. Right? You know, he chose two of the most beloved names to Allah Ta'ala. Then he chose the Prophet's name for his son. So in conclusion, we beg our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala to be amongst those truly fortunate souls about whom his beloved messenger said, the one who is rich in his heart will not be harmed by what they face in the world. Whilst the one who is poor in his heart will not be enriched by how much he acquires of this world. Subhanallah. This is recorded in Tabarani, Ibn Hiban and others. Shaykh Al-Bani Rahmatullah stated Sahih in Sahih al Jabi number 7816. This is a profound hadith of the Prophet All his words are profound. But this is an amazing statement. Because he's actually telling you something which is everybody's eager to acquire. And what are they all eager to acquire? Contentment. They want to be happy. Are they happy? Are we happy? And the response is most of us aren't. Why? Because the road which takes you to contentment is going towards Scotland. You're going to London. How are you going to get to Scotland? So what did the Prophet say? Look at the amazing statement he made. The one who is rich in his heart. What does that mean? It means that he's got the treasures of the heart. He's not going to get harmed by whatever he faces in the world. Think about that. So, Kishan sins thrown at him. What do I mean by that? He loses all his wealth. He's still got a smile on his face. Hey! Family gets wiped out. Still got a smile on his face. Hey! Doctor goes, you got two weeks to live. Still got a smile on his face. What the heck? Who, is this guy human? Why is he always smiling? Don't you wonder? How do you get that? <laughs> the only way to get it is to get rich in the heart. The Prophet's words are true. He will not be harmed by whatever he faces in the world. Look how weak our heart is. One problem comes, we can't go to sleep. Forget about you know throwing kitchen sink. How weak is your heart? Then what did the Prophet say? Now this is what we experience. You have to be brutally honest. The one who is poor in his heart will not be enriched by how much he acquires of the world. <laughs> Everybody goes, yeah, yeah, that, that. But then you go in it because we know that we've experienced it. Now what is that person doing? He's going to Scotland. What are you going to Scotland for? I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get. what are you going to get? You're still going to be, you know, smashed, broke, right? Even though you've got millions. You see people like that, you know, thinking, is he, what, hey? <laughs> He's lost all his ball. Teeth have gone crooked, right? You know, smoking 60 a day, right? You know, blood pressure's through roof. 
And then he goes, no, but he's a billionaire, right? <laughs> he goes, can stay to him. Astaghfirullah. Why is that? Because he's poor of heart. And he thinks if I get another property, another land, another this, that's the goal, I will get there. You won't get there. The Prophet said, the one who is poor in heart will not be enriched by how much he acquires of this world. So there is the profound statement. And this hadith is sahih. The uh, Shaykh al-Bani said sahih. In sahih al-jami, meaning the Prophet said these words. So now, somebody posed this question to me. Did the Sahaba ever get depressed? <laughs> and my good reaction was, I thought, well, I'm sure they... But then I said, ah, come back to me with that, brother. And I can't think of a single report. So somebody goes, yeah, but they got depressed if they miss virtue. That's not depression, is it? That's, that's you know, character. Depression means, you know, oh, something's happened. Oh, next minute can't get out of bed. Never like that. Why? Because who was enriching their heart? Rasulullah was imbibing this into them. The kitchen sinks thrown at them. And if you look at the, let me give you glimpses so you get an idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Khobeb is about to be executed. Imagine, he's a prisoner of war in Makkah because you're going to be dead. But we're going to have our fun first. So you're thinking he's going to be you know, stressed out. Oh no, what the, Ya Allah, keep me firm. He just, you know, he's eating grapes. So then, the, the, you know, he's in the house and the woman who, you know, she's in charge, she's obviously chained up. She goes, hang on a minute. Where has he got these grapes from? <laughs> this is not the season of grapes. And then she, she, she didn't ask him about it, but she found that strange. Then he asked for a, a blade. She goes, why do you want a blade? He goes, I want to be clean before I meet my Lord, meaning any unwanted hair. So this is a sunnah, right? On death row, you get rid of your pubic hair, everything, you know, you're going to be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, how strange that is, people don't even know that. Dari in both armpits, right? I'm going to admit it, right? Throw that out first, isn't it? So he's got a blade. But then the woman, you know, she forgot that she had a, she had a toddler. So the toddler, she thinks, and it's quite interesting, she actually thought, hang on a minute, where's my son? And the son's next to the prisoner, and he's got the blade. So she's thinking, oh my God, you know, he's, you know, he's going to die anyway. Well, let's take a little, you know, at least get some maza. So Khobeb looks at the woman, he, he, then he thinks, you know, look how interesting, this is a Muslim, because they always think we're barbaric. So Khobeb looks and he goes, Subhanallah, did you think I'm going to do something to your son? <laughs> And we say that, do you think we're terrorists? <laughs> Maybe we got bombs in our pockets. He goes, he goes, I will never harm your son. <laughs> and then look what this woman said. I've never seen a better prisoner than Khobeb. <laughs> he gave a doubt. So then what happened? He's then going to get executed. They're having their fun. And then, obviously, you know, he's not budging. He's content. The hadith says, no matter what is thrown at them, it's not going to affect them. There's the proof. I'll be honest, if I were there, Takiya stayed away. Oh, I believe in Allah and In my heart, Ya Allah, forgive me. I'm just trying to save my life. Right? You're allowed to do that. What happened to Zahab? Right? Next minute, I'm ready to go. And then what happened? Abu Sufyan approaches him. He's not a Muslim at the time. And he says, Khobib, wouldn't you want Muhammad to be in your place now? 
And you'll be back with your family, enjoying you know, your life with your family. So Khobeb goes, A'udhu Billah. He goes, I wouldn't even tolerate a thorn pricking his foot. Even that I wouldn't replace with this. But then what happened? Khobeb made dua. He goes, oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give my salam to your beloved messenger and take these people to task. <laughs> so Abu Sufyan, he looks at Khobeb and he, grab, he grabs all of his son Muawiyah and he makes him roll in the ground. <laughs> and Muawiyah is narrating this. He goes, my father grabbed me and he's making me roll. And they, they believe that this got rid of the curse. This was the Jairiya thought. And then what happened? The people who witnessed his martyrdom, they became Muslims, they became Sahab. And they were scared to death of that curse. They thought, it's going to hit us, it's going to hit us. But Khobeb's du'a was against the unbelievers. You understand? If anybody became a Muslim, that curse got nullified. Abu Sufyan became a Muslim, he stopped. Muawiyah became a Muslim, he stopped. And there was another person called Sa'id ibn Amr. And he later was made a governor of a place by Umar. And when he went to his residence, the people complained. They brought a complaint back to Umar and Umar was shocked. He goes, what's, what's this about Saeed? He goes, so many bring him back. So Saeed was brought back to Medina. And he goes, what's this we're hearing about you Saeed? He goes, what you hearing? And he goes, the people are here. He goes, look, are these people from your area? He goes, yes. He goes, what's their complaint? So Umar goes, you speak. <laughs> so they're both looking at each other. So the people, they went, Oh, governor, he goes, we got three complaints against you. He goes, what's the complaints? Because one complaint is, he goes, you don't even come out of your house one day. Because what's all that about? So Umar goes, so what is that about? And then he goes, Amir al-Mu'mineen, I wouldn't have told anybody. But because you've asked me, I have to answer. I've only got one pair of clothes. When they wash, I have to wait till they dry. So Umar looks at the people, he goes, what's your second question? Then the people thought, you know, Adam's apple, they, mm-hmm. right? they thought, oops, because was second question. And he goes, well, he goes, uh, and I can't, there was three, but the third one was, he goes, he's ill. He goes, what do you mean he's ill? He goes, he's just walking and he faints. And we're sprinkling water on him and he comes down and he, and he goes, he's just, and he goes, he just faints every now and again. So Umar goes, what's this? So Saeed said, I remember the curse of Khubib. I was there. When I remembered it, I think it's going to strike me. And I faint. And then a third, I can't remember. Anybody remember what the third one was? There was a third thing. I can't remember. There was a third thing. And Umar then said, have all the complaints been answered? He goes, yes. Then he told the people, get out of my sight. Right? And then he said to the governor, go back. So Saeed goes, oh, I've had enough of governorship. He goes, no, you're going back. <laughs> right? So Saeed Ibn Amr goes back. And then the report saw to check. He makes the wife. He goes, Ya Allah, please. He goes, I never wanted governorship. And on the way back, he passes away. And Umar goes, subhanAllah. He goes, he was a sincere servant. So look how beautiful. Why am I mentioning all this? Go back to the hadith. The one who is rich in heart, he will not be harmed by what they face in the world. The one who is poor in heart will not be enriched by how much they acquire of this world. How many people 
think about this to finish how many people are looking for their destination when they're treading the path in the opposite direction how many people think about this you know they've got more money than sense and they're the most miserable people you know think about that what what path they took the long path but the tragedy is we're talking about muslims now why are you so miserable right i don't know you tell me you know i've got everything i just i just you know can't get i need pros like i need sleeping pills to sleep and the response is because you're poor of heart so how do you get this by studying your deen when you learn about your deen allah taala gives you these treasures and this is why the salaf they actually start laughing sometimes at night middle of the night you know like a hilarious laughter so one of the wives of the righteous said to her husband i've never seen anything more strange than this every now and again during the night you burst out laughing because what's what are you laughing at <laughs> so the husband goes because i'm thinking about the unbelievers if they knew how much sweetness we get from our worship at night they would come in their armies to fight us for it <laughs> now what do you mean by that he meant this hadith because we've got the treasure allah taala has given it to us those bachari he's calling him bachari because they don't know what they're they're missing out on you know they even tell you look how strange they reverse on you he goes oh you're muslim now you got straight jacket you don't know what you're missing out on the irony of that statement is you should be saying that to them rather my brother you don't know what you're missing out on then they give you that funny look what you got to offer me not me brother i can't offer you anything allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So again, this is the beauty about this. But do we do it for that? No, we're doing it to please Allah. But Allah Taala wants to give the best of both worlds, which He gave to the companions. With the Allah Taala, and it's not an exaggeration. The companions, what were they before they were Amir al-Mu'minins, governors, viziers? What was their occupation? You know, you can't get a more contrast. Shepherds, camel herders, businessmen, you know, buying and selling dates, brokers. How did they become governors? How did they become a million mu'minins? How did they rule the world? Allah Taala gave them that gift, but they were the best of people. Why? Because they were trained by the best. So all I mentioned again today was some important reports again with regards to karib, and we ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to give us from His unending treasures. Amen. Are there any questions? We'll let us. سبحان الله بحمده وبارك الله فيه وبحمده كاشكر الله لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك وبارك الله فيك سبحان الله وبارك الله فيك سيفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل انسان في خصم الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وواسب الحق وواسب الصبر صدقا